and welcome to another episode of The Brand Called You, a podcast and video show which brings you leadership lessons, knowledge, and experience, and wisdom from hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. If you're new to the channel, please subscribe so you won't miss a new episode. I'm your host, Fritz Bussemaker, and today I'm delighted and privileged to have a conversation with my good friend, Neil Sahota. Neil, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me on, Fritz. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Now, as mentioned, we uh, I would qualify our relationship as uh, friends, uh, but let me introduce you to the rest of the audience. Uh, you are currently the CEO of the ACSI Labs, uh, which is meant to improve human thinking. Now, that in itself is going to be a topic, but you also have been a speaker for years, and the list of speaking engagements, I would say, is almost endless. It's a very long list. Uh, but I see speech uh, on uh, digital, on what's in the future of AI, smart cities, IoT. Uh, your background, your knowledge, you also put that to good use, being board members around education, digital technology, including the United Nations on AI, a lecturer, instructor, course designer, and you have a global audience, live in California, last but not least, because that's going to drive this discussion, you wrote the best business book, and I believe in the 2019, Own the AI Revolution. Again, Neil, thanks for being here. Oh, that's awesome. But I made me feel tired, Fritz. <laughs> you know, I did so much. <laughs> yes. Now, I just introduced you to the audience, but how would you introduce yourself? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I'm just a guy that whose motto in life so I want to leave the world at least as good as I found it, if not better. So that's kind of the value I'm trying to create and drives a lot of the work that I've done. Okay. Uh, I understand that thinking. Uh, that. So how do you then, um, after that introduction, when people are curious, how do you link that to your digital background? How did that happen? You know, we always talk about people, process, technology, right? Yeah. And we've had really rapid advance with like emerging technology and it can be a really powerful tool to help us actually achieve some of these major goals. So, um, you know, obviously a lot of great things in commercialization, you know, transformation of finance, the way we like invest mortgage loans, transformation of healthcare towards precision medicine, you know, development of smart cities to improve public services, you know, well, I know it's an oxymoron, but maybe more efficient government use that way. But we can also use these tools to actually help combat the effects of climate change, to try and solve some of the big problems around hunger. Like I've actually done a lot of work with emerging technology, particularly AI, to help grow more food with less resources, even in some impoverished areas like Bangladesh and Malawi. So these are like really powerful, movable-needing tools that we can actually deploy and that ties into hey i'm trying to at least leave the world as good as i, I found it so okay uh, i actually like that you're giving that answer because i'll tell you a secret i i just out of curiosity i uh i asked chat gtp uh what should i ask uh, neil sahota and please describe him and uh it actually immediately shows um, it stated you have a passion for social impact. But then my question is why? That's that's a good question. And I think it's really based on how I grew up. 
So like my parents had a very big sense of like give back and community service. They, uh, you know, they had their own struggles, obviously growing up and they know the value of, well, society and planet. And that kind of, I think, sense of give back got instilled. And then, you know, poor kid from the Bronx, you know, yeah. not, not a whole lot of things. You have a strong sense of net, like you really knew your neighbors and all these things and you try to help each other, right? You weren't thinking about what you get, it's just to just survive, you help each other. Because I think I grew up in that environment, I understood kind of the the importance of trying to help other people. I know it's cliche, but a rising tide lifts all boats. Yeah, I think that's really the truth. And one of the things that I especially learned early in my career was it doesn't matter how good you get, like how good I got, right? If I couldn't make the people around me better, you you can't really accomplish big things. Okay. So again, so... I think that all ties together with got to help the community. Okay, that already leads to so many segues to questions I have for you. Uh, but uh, the first one is, um, okay, you're, you're describing for me a, a poor family in the Bronx. How do you get from a poor family in the Bronx? Uh, at a certain point, you are recognized as a master inventor at IBM. So how did you get there? Because, the, and, and the reason I'm asking, um, the audience to the podcast are very likely going to be in exactly the same situation. Yeah, and the, the truth is, I asked, used to ask some more questions. Like, I had a chance to work with like Warren Buffett and Howard Schultz, you know, some of these big guys. And I would ask the same question. And they, they said, it just kind of happened by accident, right? Okay. And I say the same thing now. It kind of happened by accident. I didn't plan this. It's just that I was willing to seek opportunity, I was willing to embrace change. I, I hate to put it this way, but we're, kind of taught that when something new happens or someone proposes like a new idea, any kind of change, the first reaction is a threat. Yeah. Right. We look at the negative risks. We think of risk as bad things. And so we're trying to think about, that's ah, not going to work. We've never done it that way. We're always trying to find the fault. And I've learned is the, the people that really achieve the most success, you know, create the most value are the ones that they don't look at the threats. They look at, What's the opportunity? What's the positive risk? What's the upside? And how can I make this happen? Okay, so what I'm hearing you say is that even if the concrete action or whatever happens by chance, you still can prepare yourself to recognize the change and recognize that as a chance and an opportunity rather than a threat. So, you, you, I mean, basically what I'm hearing is you can prepare yourself. Yeah, you, you can. It's it's a mindset. It's something everyone can do. It's just unfortunate that we don't cultivate that culture. So, you know, I've I read somewhere that they say only about 10% of the population has this kind of mindset. Mm -hmm. And ironically, only about 10% of the population are cut out to be really successful business people or entrepreneurs, things like that. So it's almost like the way we teach people we could improve upon that and create more innovators, more entrepreneurs, more positive change. Okay, so in your mind, uh, we should put effort in increasing that 10% to 15, 20% as a start. I, I really think we should try and create 80, 90%. Good, no, that's a good, good, good answer. You know, I, I'm with you, but I'm just trying to figure out what, uh, <laughs> what, you're, thinking, what you're thinking is there. Okay. Well, 
And I, I absolutely agree with that, right? We have to start pushing that way. I, I liken it to climate change, mm-hmm. yeah. right? I co-chair one of the UN committees on climate change. And a lot of people are like, do you really think you're going to make a difference? And I'm like, yes, right? I'm not going to be the one that solves climate change. And that's not the goal we should be going for. Most people look at it and say like, oh, it's this really huge problem. I can't really do much about it. I'm sure there's bigger people, smarter people, more resources doing something. Not the right attitude. Again, now I, I, I have to backtrack here. Um, you, I co-chair a UN Commission on Climate Change, one of the biggest problems in this world. This doesn't happen by accident. Maybe it does, but how did you prepare to be end up in that position? It was an accident. I'm, I'm, again, I'm very, very passionate. One of my things is climate science. There was a new committee spooling up around this. They were looking at solutions and things like how can different behaviors, processes, technology help kind of combat. And so I actually volunteered. Okay. But how did you know that they needed somebody? How were you able to volunteer? Oh, the the UN, the United Nations folks actually reached out to me and said, we're trying this new committee, you know, based on my previous volunteer work with them said, would you be interested in participating? Okay. Uh, is that an advice uh, you would give in more general sense? Uh, be a volunteer so you get noticed? 100%, right? I think we all know that we want to get to the point where we're not out looking and trying to get something, that people are coming to us because we have that kind of reputation, the personal brand. Yeah. Okay. Because uh, actually, it, re- it resonates with my own experience. That's what I want to say, continue that a little bit. So, Volunteer also for me means, I just want to check with you on that. That means being intrinsically motivated to do something. Um, probably you're going to be good at it. And if you're going to be good at it, actually at the end of the day, it's going to be, re, uh, it's going to be rewarded. 100%, but you're saying something really important, Fritz, right? I, I tell people, you, you don't do what you love. You may not be good at what you love. Do what you're good at, right? If you're good at something, People will notice that. It'll come easy for you. That's uh, a way to establish your, your credibility and your value. And that's when people start coming to you. And if that dependent on who you are as a persona, that could lead to, uh, you could say, co-chairing a UN uh, commission. That could lead to maybe helping the local company around the, the, the you could say, around the corner. That doesn't matter at the end of the day. No, I mean, it's, it should be about just making a difference, right? Yeah. Whether it's volunteer, whether it's commercial, you got to be able to quantify the value, the benefits you're creating. Yeah. Okay. Now, if I look at that whole list of topics, now there, there is a common denominator in those topics. I'll qualify that as digital. Um, first of all, what's your favorite, what's your top three topics? What are, what are you passionately want to talk about? Top three topics would be education, climate science, and uh, the whole field around artificial empathy. Artificial empathy. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Okay. The last two, I link that to using technology to solve issues. Uh, is Is education separate or is that just another manifestation of demonstrating what digital can do for us. It's a, I think it's another manifestation, right? If you think about how we actually learn or we teach, it's still very much rooted in 19th century practices, 
And it's not just technology, it's also science, particularly cognitive science, where we know there are actually proven learning models that we've learned the last 50, 60 years that you kind of wire your brain a little bit differently, but you learn better, it's more sticky, and it actually you're actually a better creative and critical thinker. And we, we found, sorry, first, we found that there's a way to use AI and the metaverse to actually teach people to be creative thinkers. You can actually use technology to do something we thought was not possible. But you can't learn creative thinking in a classroom, but through this technology, we can actually teach people that. And that is, so is that like the core mission when you talk about in a mission statement, improve human thinking, you're using that technology to achieve that? That's that's correct. We're combining cognitive science, AI, and the metaverse yeah. to make people better thinkers, to help them enter that state, you know, flow state a lot faster. And that's enabled them to solve a lot more complex problems. That's actually how the sustainable mining practices got started. It was actually through this whole process working with some big mining companies. And that was something, honestly, Fritz, a lot of people said, there's no way you can do sustainable mining. It's just an oxymoron. Okay. okay. Um, for those audience, uh, what's, susta what's sustainable mining in this case? Sustainable mining is to lower the environmental impact, right, to a very small. There's the something called ESGs, Environment, Sustainable, and Governance. Yeah. And so how do you reduce your environmental impact? How do you improve worker safety? yet still be as profitable or better. And we yeah. found with these practices is you can lower that, lower the footprint, improve safety, improve worker morale, and actually increase revenue and profitability at the same time. Okay. Um, good, to, good to know that. So AI and the technology you just mentioned can help. Uh, I want to move on to... Um, uh, the next, I actually, I really want to talk about your book, uh, and I'm going to show this, Own the AI Revolution. Uh, and actually, I find it quite interesting that Jennifer, Senator Joe Dunn uh, called this, the book is a godsend for those of us who that struggle with the disruptive nature of AI. Uh, this disruptive nature of AI, I recognize that. Uh, I mean, uh, a lot of people are concerned, are afraid by AI. Uh, who did you write this book for? I wrote it for the non-technical business person. Yeah. Because there's even today still a lot of fear mongering and obviously it's a lot of change. I think a lot of people just felt like it's being forced upon them and they're the passenger on this ride. And I wanted to let them know that you can be the driver and you can use, use AI for positive change. In fact, some of the best AI solutions actually come from domain experts, doctors, lawyers, financial analysts, not the technologists. Okay, so that book is also meant not to, to, to show people what you can do, uh, but also take away those concerns. Uh, now, um, is this something only big, large corporates uh, should embrace, or is this also relevant for individuals and small SME companies? It's relevant for, for everybody. It's not just for the big corporations. I, I think that chat, the explosive chat GPT has shown that, you know, the, the quote unquote average person can use it for mundane tasks, yes. right? Your homework, a little bit of research, or even helping you write your resume and cover letter. Okay. Uh, so, uh, 
in your mind, are, are we at the beginning of an AI revolution? Uh, I mean, is like chat GTP uh, something, is, is, is this going to go much, much bigger or are we at the pinnacle of its development? I, we're not at the, the start. The revolution's been going on for 12, 13 years. I think we reached an inflection point of explosive growth. So I think we're gonna see a lot more. I mean, now you're seeing a lot of things with Midjourney, Dolly 2. I think there's more and more training, there's different AI systems that they can now do things like for the individual person, people are directly seeing the benefit from that. Okay. And I think that's why we're creating this explosive growth. That's why ChatGPT went from 10,000 users to 100 million in four weeks. Yeah. Now. I was wondering about that. When you uh, write your book, when you give a lecture, when you give a talk, uh, where do you draw your inspiration from? How do you do that? It sounds kind of weird, but I actually draw my inspiration from the audience. Because, you know, my, my guiding principle is about creating value. I think about who is my audience and what, what do they need? What's the benefits they're looking for? Is it information, next step, framework? So I really make it about them. And I think that's why the book was a bestseller. I think that's why I get a lot of great compliments about my public speaking. It's because I'm not there to showcase how smart I am or anything like that. I'm trying to create value. So I always think about what is it the audience needs the most and how can I help them achieve that? Um, it, it sounds to me like you're uh, coming back to uh, the lesson your parents gave and your own uh, upbringing, uh, the social impact from the Bronx. Uh, it seems that it it resonate it still resonates in what you're doing. So, uh, is it a safe? Is it a fair assumption? Okay, well, uh, your parents also have been a very big role model uh, and inspiration. They have. I mean, I think they they and the you know the neighborhood I grew up in was a lot of those people. They kind of wove that into my DNA, if you will. Yeah. Right. It's like every, everything I see, everything I see in the world kind of goes through that lens. That's probably the best way of putting that. Now, sometimes you would see people, um, hopefully I, it's okay to say like uh, like this, is they want to escape poverty. They want to escape where they came from. But what I'm hearing you say is, although I have a very successful career, let me qualify it like that, um, I'm still bringing norms and values which I obtained in the environment where I grew up. So you can't escape. No, hundred percent. I think the interesting thing is that a lot. I think a lot of my success is rooted because I embrace those values. Okay, and I by live, the way, I live my life that way. I do my work that way, and I think for a lot of people that resonates with them. Because I, I've heard, I've heard from people say like, you know, you're very charismatic, but it's like you you don't just like go somewhere, meet some people, make a connection, make new friends. Like you like forge deep relationships very quickly. And I think it's because of those values. You just mentioned success. What's your definition of success? What is your metric, your guideline? <laughs> uh, that's that's an interesting one, Fritz. I I probably set the bar way too high for myself, right? Again, trying to leave the world at least as good as I found it. So I really won't know till unfortunately I pass away. But in the intermediate steps, I really look at what's the the value and benefit I've created for people. Okay. Well, uh, can you then qualify a couple of key milestones in your life so far as you say, well, yeah, that's where something changed. That's where I made a difference. 
Well, you know, my work at the United Nations and AI for Good. Now that whole thing, you know, started with like a speech I gave where people thought AI was Terminator time. Yeah. Then it, you know, the Secretary General was really, you know, wow, we could actually do something with this. Didn't yeah. realize that. Imagine what people were telling me, like, you're going to try and turn one of the most political, bureaucratic, slow-moving organizations in the world into like a startup company to do this. Yeah, yeah. I, I realize it's behind you the whole uh, session AI for good, uh, and now you're explicitly talking about it. I, what is this? What what's this movement about? It's really about using AI and like other emerging technology for sustainable development goals. We we know that these are lofty goals. There's a lack of resources, financial and people, but AI for good is focused on solutions to try and bridge some of that gap and create an ecosystem, a set of partnerships among people, businesses, governments that care and want to do projects to make some of these solutions happen. Yeah. Are you optimistic, by the way? Yeah. I mean, AI Forget has been around, what, seven, eight years now. And there's over 200 projects completed. There's over 280 pro active projects today. And, you know, it's, it's become one of the big things within the UN. I mean, the uh, UN Secretary General Antonio Gutierrez announced two days ago that they're now considering creating a whole new UN agency just on AI, in large part based on some of the work out of AI for Good. Oh, that's that's actually good news. And we're talking about July 20th. So end of July, this was announced. This was actually announced July 18th. Yeah. I, uh, Okay. I'm on the committee. This is one of the options. We hadn't made a decision, just so everyone knows, but the Secretary General felt it was so important that he actually made a public statement about it. Oh, good. So that's the, well, and actually, that also ties into the UN uh, approach that this is the decade of execution for reaching the SDGs. And one of the key solutions is digital technology, and in this case, AI. So I, I understand where it's coming from. Yeah. So. Uh, you're going to be busy for the next couple of years, my man. <laughs> I look I look forward to it. Yeah. It's going to be a lot of positive change. Yes. Okay. Now, um, we, we talked a lot about, you could say, your current work, uh, a little bit how you uh, got there. Uh, is work for you 24-7? Uh, I try not to make it that way. One, one thing I've learned is if you don't create boundaries for yourself, nobody else will. Yeah. I, I can't work 24 seven. I'm not a robot, despite what some people might think, but I, I do set boundaries and I, you know, I do make time for personal life, my family, those kinds of things. So I work, I work globally and I know there's a stretch on time zones, but I always make sure to carve out time for my personal life. Okay. That's good. So, um, you already gave uh, the audience quite some advice uh, how they could approach this. Uh, but if you, if you get explicit, uh, uh, you could say question, how, what's your advice to young managers starting their own career, their journey? Uh, what, are, what are your takeaways you want to give them? Three things for them. First, embrace change. There's, there's no way around it. You don't create value or benefits. And you're in a role that requires, you know, thinking around the box, if not outside the box. Second, you got to take risks. I know, again, like a lot of people think that's a bad thing, but risks are just uncertainties. 
And I will tell you that, you know, hiring, when I hire people, especially if like managerial executive roles, I would ask the question, if you're hundred percent successful, is that a good or a bad thing? And why? You know, everyone's like, okay, I think the answer is that's a bad thing. They kind of struggle with the why. And the real thing is, if it tells me if you're always successful, it means you don't really take enough risk. You're not going to create enough value because you're just trying to play it safe. And if you try to play not to lose, you lose. So okay. So, so can you share with the audience a couple of the, you could say, times uh, you were failing? Did, I mean, did you make... Uh, this, did you have the same ambitions where you made, okay, now I made a mistake, but I learned from it. Yeah, I, I, I did. And I'm not saying take a, a risk like jumping out of a plane without a parachute, right? You, you don't want to take a risk that's going to destroy the company or your career, right? You want to take calculated risks. But okay. like I, IBM Watson, you know, this started back in 2006. It was a crazy idea. That's what a lot of people said, you know? And it was it was very much a risk, but it was like, we were looking at a time where business intelligence was really big, but this whole thing about well, there's so much data, how do we really process that? And it's like, could a machine help us do that? Okay. That's now, a radical idea back then. But arguably, IBM Watson uh, is a success. Uh, are there any failures you've learned from? Yeah, there, there, a lot. You know, I think big success is, I think Watson showed that AI cognitive computing is possible kind of triggered the wave. But one example of failure is we let Watson read the urban dictionary. So because of that, Watson learned how to swear. Yeah. Okay. So I had to try to explain to a machine uh, the appropriate times to curse and not curse. Okay. But Neil, uh, that's, I mean, you're now an observer of when you were at IBM Watson, did you make that decision? What were your personal uh, failures, if there are any. Well, my my personal failures. Uh, I mean, and that that's actually a good question because it ties to my third piece of advice is you got to understand people and how to motivate them, right? Personal failures, especially earlier in my career, even some of the early days of Watson was you understand what you're trying to do, you understand the value. But you got to learn to communicate that and create buy-in with other people. You got to be able to speak their language, understand what they value, and that—that's something, right? I was talking about X, Y, Z, and they care about ABC. And as a result, sometimes they would say no, they would block it. You get frustrated. It's like, oh my god, why can't they see that? I definitely learned some hard lessons that way, but I'm grateful I learned them when I was young because that—that was I couldn't have done half the things I've actually done. That's actually very, very, very valuable advice. Uh, and I want to thank you for sharing that. And I'm going to end with one question, which you already alluded to in your reply when you said, I want to leave the world in a better place when I leave it. So how do you want the world to remember you? That's, a, that's an interesting question. Uh, I, I don't really care if they remember me or not, to be honest. Right? What, what, is it, what was the old cliche? Would you rather be... Uh, loved and forgotten or spitefully remembered because everyone hated you. I, I hopefully it's not the latter, but I, I don't really care about that. I don't do this for like legacy or, or any kind of personal glory. I do it because it's important. So whether people remember me or not, immaterial. Neil, Neil Sohota, thank you so much for sharing your, your insights, your thoughts, valuable lessons. 
And thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, Fritz. Thank you for listening to the brand called You Videocast and Podcast, a platform that brings you knowledge, experience, and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Do visit our website, www.tbcy.in, to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for the brand called You.